This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I am going to talk um, about the Tenzo Kyokan, uh, the part that I'm especially interested in talking about is the stories of the the two monks, and I'm and the way it, it applies to our lives. Um, it it seems to apply more directly to what we can think of as our daily life uh, than than most other fascicles in the Shobogenzo. And I think that I've been spending a really lot of time in the kitchen, (laughs) really too much time in the kitchen. But, you know, because there was the only place we could go was drive somewhere, which we didn't do very often and uh, walk around, walk around our neighborhood. And I've been feeling this need to let go and be able to see where I put things under other things because I wasn't paying attention. And uh, I have read this, this fascicle several times and I always thought it was a little fussy, in other words, to <laughs> out of my limits. And um, also I don't live in a monastery, you know, and I don't, I do have a shelf for this and a shelf for this glass and and etc. But but I off I I don't put things away uh, in the right place. So I thought, well, I know that I need um, to be mindful, and that even though that that word has um, been something that I think of as secular, it of course came from from what we do Um, attention 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 and so i hope this is going to help me Um, in getting ready though i have my things strewn all around as usual and i hope you have a lot to say because it it concerns uh, advice i think for all of us i find it a little difficult to pin down as, as I, I, well, I can't pin it down. I don't want to pin it down. But with Dogen, you know, it's just so great that you, you go along with it and you feel it, um, is what I mean. I can feel it. And I'm going to try to be um, able to articulate it. And if I'm not, um, you can ask questions of me or anyone else. Okay, so. I start, of course, with um, the imagery of Dogen, which is, and the poetry of Dogen. It just always amazes me, and uh, especially in the Genjo koan, the images of the bird and the fish, and um, <clears throat> the bird flies the sky. As long as the bird flies in the sky, there is no limit. And as the fish swims in the water, there is no limit to the water, and there's no limit to the sky. And the sky is life for the bird, and the bird is life for the sky. 
and the same for the fish. For the fish, water is life, and for the water, the fish is life. Something like, and in each way, each in its own element, uh, there is nowhere they cannot move or turn freely. Um, this I remember also, some, some little bits like this, but in my mind I can see it and, uh, and I can picture it. I have, in fact, a picture, uh, a reproduction of a, a flying two, one flying goose, two, and one flying goose behind that flying goose, and the larger one in front is flying in front of the moon. So those are the kinds of paintings that I, I really like. I've had that one for a long time, hanging in my little Zindo room. So I just find, I just find this really encouraging now. And it, it, it just has what I can see or hear, you know, uh, using my sense organs is the way uh, Dogen describes um, objects of mind. We, we can't, we can see them. They refer to objects of mind referred to in memories, images, and concepts, we can see quotes or hear quotes or think about without using our sense organs. So what we perceive is actually a kind of stimulation that happens within our bodies and minds. We do not directly perceive things, dharmas themselves. That's a very uh, <clears throat> direct way, uh, it seems to me, of reminding me of the way my mind works and what we are interested in when we talk about zazen is direct seeing, hearing, without conceptions that that we made when we first saw things and uh, and decided these are things and this is me seeing them. So we have the opportunity in Zazen to have um, more whole experience and of ourselves as well and of other people and of our um, community of self and others, but it is also inseparable on that level because it contains everything. So I I think of I think of these the two sides that we have in the Ginja poem that are that are interwoven in the very first paragraph. One side, one side contains all the individuality of things, and in that it concludes, it, it has many, many categories. We have this, 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 and this, and the other side 
all are together and that's all the Buddha Dharma. I wish I had it in front of me right now. I plan to. Uh, let me see if I can find it. This is, a, this is Okamura's translation. When all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. When the thousand, 10,000 dharmas are without fixed self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddhas and no living beings, no birth and no death. Since the Buddha way by nature goes beyond abundance and deficiency, there is a rising and perishing, delusion and realization, living beings and Buddhas. Therefore, flowers fall even though we love them, weeds grow even though we dislike them, conveying oneself toward all things to carry out practice enlightenment is delusion. All things coming and carrying out practice enlightenment through the self is realization. Those who greatly realize delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded in realization are living beings. Furthermore, there are those who attain realization beyond realization and those who are deluded within delusion. So if we're, uh, if we're uh, to live our lives um, as we have learned from our zazen and from our, our teachers far back and now, uh, we, are, we, are living in, in, uh, we are living the middle way. We're not trying to think even that we're going to be enlightened. We're not trying to attain enlightenment. But we know that we may have seen it <laughs> um, and we read about it, what it is, and, and we hear from people who can express it. Um, and we do that by being in the world, the world of discrimination. And we can speak to other people and listen to other people. And and at the same time, we, we do see ourselves as separate, usually. But we know about the we know about both worlds, and uh, and we experience both worlds. And ideally, we accept both worlds together as the Buddha Dharma. But today, I just I thought of. Um, two things that stand out to me in the Buddha's life uh, that perhaps are expressing, but probably not, but more leaning to one side or the other. The first is um, um, when the baby Buddha was born. We, we have a birthday ceremony at Flooding Zendo here, and I think they do at Flooding Zendo down in, up in San Jose, up from here in San Diego, uh, in person when everyone can be together again. We hope you have another one. But so we have this funny little Buddha 
that I bought at the, there's a Chinese Buddhist uh, monastery a couple blocks from where I live. And we go in there pretty often. Um, um, so I got a, a, a Chinese Buddha there. And it was a little boy uh, that was really chubby and naked, you know, you know, one of the really uh, popular ones you might see uh, anywhere. And some of the people in the Sangha objected to that. A couple of people objected to that because you could see his bare butt and everything. But I kept thinking it was cute. So that's probably why they objected. Anyway, uh, this little Buddha, I think she was standing up, you know, um, I alone am the world honored one, you know, bursting out. And, um, and then after, after, um, Buddha was enlightened as a grown-up. He said, on this day, I have awakened with everyone. Another thing, uh, uh, another part in the Genjo Koan uh, that I always thought about is about advancing forward and going forward and practicing and confirming all things, I guess, within oneself. Or um, not sure about this. I really am not. Uh, and he says that is delusion. Uh, but for all things, all things become toward us, into us, and practice and confirm, or another word used is verify us, is enlightenment. And I really don't know what that means either. But I find it really encouraging. <laughs> and I, I used to always think of it literally, because often when I was reading yoga and Dalen and I were in the, in the mountains, and um, <clears throat> There were all these beautiful trees all around and mountains, but the trees, I would, I would, I would picture myself there and there's the tree. And then all of a sudden realizing that the tree was a long ways away and then not visualizing, but just in, in my thoughts, feelings coming forward. They were, instead of me trouncing out there, you know, in my hiking boots, they were allowed into me. I was open, you know, pictured being open to that. Things happen too. I, I know I've talked about coyotes coming up when Bailey and I were sitting in the Santa Cruz Mountains and, and just walking right by us, just, you know, a few inches away. I'm sure you've experienced that too if you sit out. When I was sitting in the, the last time, I think we were in uh, the, the Jeffrey Pine Forest by Mammoth on the east side, we were just packed up to leave and I decided to sit one more time. <clears throat> and this young bear came up to me. I didn't know it was bear. I didn't know anything came up. It was so soft, I thought it might be Dalen walking in his moccasins. But then it kind of snorted. <laughs> I go, ah, what? And so I didn't even 
I couldn't really see its face. All it'd say was a bear like a foot away from me. And then running at a diagonal down the sort of meadowy hill toward the creek. I, I don't want to romanticize this or anything like that, but I, 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 I felt honored and I felt close. I felt close to that. And I guess I just, yeah, I just have sort of emotional feelings about that bear and gee, I, it would have been good if in another life people actually sat down next to bears and, you know, it was okay and safe. Um, that would have been nice. Um, I think this was a young bear though, pretty young bear and it didn't know enough to be afraid. And I wasn't hearing the bear to be afraid, although I have had close encounters with bears due to my own uh, stupidity, like leaving my toothpaste out overnight once. But those were bears in Yosemite Valley. This was this was a other, whole other thing. Anyway, it, I think it's it's a, it's a good thing when I hear of Native Native Americans having their spirit animal. That's something I can kind of believe in. How can I not believe in it? They say they do. And I don't know in what form they mean that because I don't know enough to know that. There's so much I don't know. I hope this talk isn't all about what I don't know. <clears throat> okay, so <clears throat> what, I, what I want to talk about <clears throat> is um, um, I guess you could call it, uh, I'll call it this, accepting our own Buddha nature and acting within that. Um, I say that because I was a few weeks ago, thank you. I was um, <clears throat> talking to Angie about how um, how much trouble I have and how intimidated I was by giving this talk, preparing for this talk. I could hardly prepare. I just thought, I'm not worthy, you know, and, um, and being a guiding teacher for Jokoji, you can tell I'm kind of nervous, but it, it's all different from when I gave a talk a month ago. I, I feel like, oh, you know, something I have to be. And she said, I was in the middle of my complaint, you know, and she said something like, um, that, uh, is that, uh, that's the first step to enlightenment. I said, what? <laughs> and she says, uh, knowing your own Buddha nature. I hadn't mentioned that. And so we talked a little bit more and I said, so, isn't that the last step <laughs> toward enlightenment? And she says, yes. yes. Yeah. So that's where I, I guess I'm, I was working from, from then afterwards, uh, trying to uh, let that let go and let that come forward. What was already there. 
Oh, I have, I have this story from Refining Your Life, a few stories from the Zen, from the Zen Kitchen to Enlightenment by Dogen and Ujiyama. And um, it tells one story of uh, Wu Zhao and um, a monk was working as a Tenzo in a monastery in the Wutai Mountains and Bodhidharma suddenly appeared above above the pot where he was cooking and he beat him. Later he said, even if Shakyamuni were to appear above the pot, I would beat him too. And um, when Uchiyama read this, he was really impressed because Uchiyama served a long time as a Tenzo in a monastery. Um, when he when he's young, when he was a young monk, the day he was ordained, the war in the Pacific was declared. And um, a lot of the people were a lot, there weren't very monks uh, there for quite a while. And he wasn't very healthy. I remember reading that in another book by him. So he, he was still in the monastery and um, there were probably a few other people there. He doesn't say, but he says afterwards, all the disciples of Kodosawaki, Roshi, and you've seen Kodosawaki's picture up in the dining hall or the community room, I'm sure. Uh, they were able to come back and, and start up their small community again. And, um, but he said that while he was uh, a monk for seven or eight years, he still hadn't figured out um, what the aim of Zen practice was. Probably because he had, didn't have very many people to talk to. I don't know. So, but, um, but food was scarce and people were actually starving. But he thought uh, it was great during those days to be a Tenzo because he could steal a little food now and then, you know, on the side, extra food. And, um, and sometimes he said he would get so distracted uh, by um, thinking about how hungry he was and trying to get his little extra food, he would mess up something in his work as a Tensa. So he thought about Wuzhou beating Manjushri and he, he wished that uh, he would, and, and, and said he'd beat uh, the Buddha himself. And he was so impressed by that. He, he said he hadn't been beating, hadn't been beating off any of his thoughts, anything that came up in his thoughts, but he just, he resolved to start beating them off. <laughs> and he said he did do that for a while. Um, which is really funny to think of with the other advice we have, let your thoughts come and let them go. But I mean, if it's a hallucination, it's probably better. You might have to beat it off with a stick. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. I keep, I keep saying, I don't know. I'm going to have to start, stop saying that. So <clears throat> I'll talk a, a little bit about oh, um, Samadhi, what I've read in uh, The King of Samadhis and how that 
we can relate to um, to the cooking. And um, the definition of samadhi is traced back to two words in Sanskrit, jhana and samadhi. And samadhi is sometimes called toji, which means to hold or see all things equally. And sometimes it's in different Chinese characters. Um, another definition of samadhi is that mind and environment are innately one. Uh, the definition, less narrow version, is in uh, Mind is Buddha of the Shobo Genzo. The meaning and scope of mind that has been directly transmitted from Buddha to Buddha is that mind extends throughout all phenomena, and all phenomena are inseparable from mind. It also says, um, seeing the Dharma, mind seeing the mind seeing the Dharma should be grasped so that mind and object become one. Toji holding all things equally. Again, understood as mind being at one with everything. And then there's the Fukuzazenji, uh, set aside all relations, drop all relationships and set them aside is the practice. And from Zui Monkey, sitting through, sitting is the reality of life. Sitting is non-activity. This is the true form of self. Outside of this, there is nowhere to search for the Buddha Dharma. So, I have many copies here that I put on the table, and I'm not sure which is the last one. Anyway, last version. Anyway, I'm going to talk about um, the monks in the mushroom chapter and a little bit about the description of what the Tenzo um, needs to do. So great sitting at home amongst all your stuff. <laughs> I would love to be up there. That part was from Uchi, that I just read you was from Uchiyama's commentary, which is, is the bulk of the book. So this is directly from the source. Give me four minutes. And 
Dogen is taking this from another work that I can't pronounce, Kuan Yang King Gui, the function of the Tinzo is to manage meals for the monks. This has been always been carried out by teachers settled in the way and by others who have arised the Bodhisattva spirit within themselves requires re exerting all your energies. If the man entrusted with it or woman is entrusted with this work lacks such a spirit, then she will only un endure unnecessary hardships and suffering. It will have no value in the pursuit of the way. It also says, put your awakened mind to work, making constant effort to serve the meals full of variety that are appropriate to the need and the occasion, and that will enable everyone to practice with their bodies and minds with the least hindrance. Excuse me. Allergies. Uh, and then he says, uh, many great teachers, uh, the last one being Dong Chan, have served as Tenzo, and that it's just that of preparing meals, but in spirit, it's different from the work of an ordinary cook or ordinary kitchen helper. So this begins his talk about um, the monks that he encountered while he was in China. And both of them happen to be Tenzos. <laughs> so th those are the ones I want to talk about. That he spent his spare time with older monks uh, who had years of experience working in various offices. And they taught me a little of what they should do what they had learned in their work. What they had to say must surely be the marrow of what has been handed down through the ages by previous Buddhas and patriarchs settled in the way. So he talks all about the work of a Tenzo during the period of a complete day. And I'm not going to go into that. I don't have time. And, but he does say, um, once he has all the ingredients, the rice, vegetables, and so on for the morning and noon meals, he must handle them as carefully as if they were his own eyes. The Tenzo should, ha Tenzo should handle all food he receives with respect, as if it were to be used for the meal for the emperor. And then he goes into detail about how to decide how much food, uh, what food, how much food, which is the part that's going to be used for lunch and which is the part used for nearly, um, for uh, breakfast. And everyone chooses it. He confers with the other officers and they post it on the wall outside the, the head priest's room. And it also has to have the three qualities and the harmony of the six flavors. So when washing the rice, you remove any sand and make sure there's no sand at all in the rice because they come together 
when you're getting the rice, there's sand in it. So you have to sip out each one. There are there are koans about this involving Bangshan too. So you do not leave any grain of rice, not even one grain of rice. You don't lose one grain of rice. So when you look at the sand, you should also see the rice. Examine both carefully. And then it does have the, uh, the um, story of uh, when uh, Dong Shan was uh, <clears throat> the leader of the monastery and another monastery, Fang was washing the rice and Dong Shan happened to pass by and ask him, do you wash the rice and pick out the rice or wash the rice and pick out the sand? And uh, he said, mm -hmm. I wash and throw away both the sand and rice together. No, really, gung ho. Dong Chan pressed again. In reply, Zwing Feng turned over the rice bucket. On seeing that, Hong Shan said, the day will come, and probably soon, <laughs> when you will practice under another master. And he did, in fact, practice under a mas another master after that one. So in order not to lose any of the rice, you have to pay attention very carefully with your own hands. Pull full attention, pay full attention to your work in preparing the meal. Um, and it tells the circumstances to do that. Don't allow anyone to touch it. Don't let anyone drifting through the kitchen even come to smell it or poke its fingers around or look into the pot. This is the side dish. This is the other dish. Uh, clean up while you're doing this separation. Clean all the utensils, all that. Okay, I like the more romantic parts. Um, <laughs> both day and night allow all things to come into and reside within your mind. Allow your mind self and all things to function together as a whole. Before midnight, direct your attention to organizing the following day's work. After midnight, begin your preparations for the morning meal. So there's very elaborate preparations. This is in a monastery and it's traditional and I'm sure it's very efficient. And when you prepare the food, never think of them from your own perspective, uh, commonly held perspective. Don't think of them only with your emotions. Maintain an attitude that tries to build great temples from ordinary greens. It expounds the Buddha Dharma through the most trivial activity. You don't use ordinary greens, don't feel any carried away by any dislike toward them, or if they're really great greens, don't. Uh, try to use those to make a superior dish. I'm really having problems here. <laughs>
Oh, it's not charging. I have my assistant here. <clears throat> Bailing is more than an assistant. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about the cooks. I really do right now. So, <clears throat> uh, when death, uh, when, um, Coben was Mount uh, Jung Tong. Um, Mount Lu came from another place and was serving as Tenzo. So uh, he was, after the noon meal, he was walking to another building and he saw Lu drawing mushrooms in the sun in front of the Boot um, Sudan. And he had a band bamboo stick, but he it didn't have a hat on his head. And he, the sun's rays were beating down so harshly and it, he was, the tiles burned one's feet and he couldn't help but feel like the monk, the work must be a strain for that monk because he's only an older monk. And his back was a bow drawn taut, his long eyebrows were crane white. So he approached and asked his age, and he was in his, he was 68. And then I want, I went, he went on to ask him if he ever used any assistance. And he said, other people are not me. And he said, I can see that your work is the activity of the Buddha Dharma but why are you working so hard in the scorching sun? He replied, if I do not do it now, when else can I do it? There was nothing else for me to say. As I walked along that passageway, I began to sense inwardly the true significance of the role of Tenzo. And the second monk um, was, um, I guess before that, he arrived in China in April 12,023, but he couldn't get off uh, the boat immediately, so he stayed on the ship. And one day in May, he was talking to the captain, and an old monk, about 60 years of age, came to the ship to buy mushrooms. And Dogen invited him in for tea and asked where he was from. He said he was the Tenzo of the monastery of Mount Aya Wang and added, he had been there, he left there over 40 years ago and, and came to uh, several Zen monasteries in the country. But it was only later when he was living at Yuan, he visited Mount Yuan. Though he spent his time there totally confused as to what he was doing. But after the summer practice in the last year, he was appointed Tenzo. And he says, tomorrow is May 5th, but I have nothing special to offer the monks. I wanted to prepare a little soup, but I did not have any mushrooms to put in it that came here to buy some. So Dogen asked, when did you leave there? And he said, after lunch. And Dogen said, how far from here? And he said, about 14 miles. And when Dogen asked him, um, when he was going back to the temple, he said, I'm going to go back right away. 
because they need the mushrooms. Um, and so Dogen felt very fortunate to meet him. And he asked him if he could stay a while longer and, uh, and um, sit and talk. And he said, the monk said, I, I'm sorry, it is impossible just now. If I am not there tomorrow to prepare the meal, it will not be made well. And Dogen's a young man, you know, he said, well, surely they won't mind if, if you stay an extra day. You know, it wouldn't inconvenience them. Will they? They won't be inconvenienced if you are not there, will they? And the monk said, I have been in, put in charge of this work in my old age. It is, so to speak, the practice of an old man. How I, can I entrust all that work to others? So Dogen kept on. Why, when you're so old, do you do the hard work? Why don't you spend your time sitting zazen or working on koans? Is there something special to be gained from working as a Tenzo? And the Tenzo burst out laughing and said, my good friend from abroad, you do not yet understand what practice is all about, nor do you know the meaning of the characters. And he was really, Dogen was really ashamed when he heard what the monk said. And so he asked him, what are the characters and what is practice? He said, if you do not deceive yourself about this problem, you will be a man of the way. At that time, Dogen didn't get it, didn't get the meaning. So that the monk said, well, come see me sometime. Uh, and we'll talk about the nature of characters. He said, I cannot think any longer. And then he left for, for his monastery. One day he came back to see Dogen where Dogen was studying and Dogen asked again about the practice of the characters and he again said one, two, three, four, five. And Dogen said, what is practice? And he said, there's nothing that is hidden. And he realized it went together with a, a gata. One, seven, three, five. The truth you search for cannot be grasped. And it's night advances and a bright moon illuminates the whole ocean. Dragon's jewels are found in every wave. Looking for the moon, it is here in this next wave in the next. So I haven't talked about the other Tenzo yet, but I think it, I, I'm not sure how long I have actually. Any indication? It's right now 12:30. So when am I supposed to stop? Twelve thirty is the closing chant. I'll just tell you the the, the main words of the, the second. Second monk said, when Dogen came back, a 
think he's the one. He he said, if I can't do this, who else will do it? Or else he was the one that said, who can do my work? Is there anyone else who can do my work? I'm sorry it's all fumbled up, but we got the pages shuffled together because poor Balin was having to print out so, so many copies. But I hope this wasn't, I mean, I've never been this confused before giving a talk because everything is scattered all around and I've been working for a long time on it. But I hope that it was clear enough. So please ask questions or make comments, clarify any parts you would like to. We would appreciate that. Jerry. <laughs> that was nice. Is Jerry still there? <laughs> if you put your hands up, then you'll be on mute. Well, it's 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 refreshing to. Um... To hear your very honest stream of consciousness and to pick nuggets out of it, you know, because there are these little nuggets. I'm writing them down, you know. So, uh, I uh, it's it's refreshingly it's it's refreshing. Oh, thank <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. <laughs> your uh, yeah, it, the poet of you is coming out. I guess I don't know. <laughs> uh, can't keep it down. Can't keep it down. Thanks. Someone else? I don't see, I can't tell if you have your uh, hands up or not. Logan, hi. Hi, Paul. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, as I look at my notes, the thing that jumps out was a phrase that you used in talking about your encounter with the bear, the young bear. But as I look at it, it, um, it seems to apply to many other things. And the phrase was, didn't know enough to be afraid. Can you tell me a bit more about didn't know enough to be afraid? Well... I think that is open for discussion, uh, but I simply meant that he was young. I mean, he wasn't tall, it was tiny though. He was, he was, you know, he, he came up like he was, I don't want to say sitting, but yeah, he was on four legs still, I think. I mean, I barely saw him. I just, he was, th he was this close. And I heard him start and I turned and I just saw him moving. But he was this light, um, this light kind of nutmeg color. You know, he wasn't like a dark brown. And he, and I don't know why I say he. Hey, I should think of it as a sheep. And um, you know, it could have been been a, a bear that we met the year before as a cub, who came with his mother, and was. Um, I saw I saw the the bear go to the back of our truck, and I said, Balin, they're bears that are into the back of our truck. I said, no, no, they can't get in. <laughs> and then when he found out they were eating his granola or his, his um, shredded wheat, 
then, you know, he took measures. But I thought, well, maybe it was that one that recognized us, you know, from the sense. Um, I don't know, or recognized our truck because it was only a few miles away where we were camped the second time. So, yeah, maybe too young to be afraid, but not young enough to still be with its mother. Um, not young enough. To, I'm just guessing here, Hogan. But it there was something so innocent and sweet about it, and maybe I was I was in that space too, you know, at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you think? I'm sure you've um, had encounters. Well, I, I think in 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 that story when I. When I remember, I think I heard you say of the story, there was a moment uh, where you didn't know enough to be afraid. Uh, you said it first when oh. you were aware of something. Um, and then when all of a sudden you realized it wasn't what you thought it was initially. And you realized it was a bear, there was a bit of some stories rushed into your awareness. Or uh, I'm not sure if there were stories or if it was more of a, a, uh, a own, own, uh, visceral being reacting to a, a large wild animal moving fast, even though it was moving away from you. It's hard to tell in the first moment yeah. what's going on. Well, it was the, the snort. Way. It was the, or it wasn't even a snort exactly. It was just breathing, loud breathing, or maybe a snort. At that point, uh-huh. right in my ear, it's like, okay, it's not a chipmunk. It's not Balin walking in his leather uh, moccasin. Right. And my body just reacted instinctively. I don't think there was a thought there. Uh, So it was, I didn't say the bear, was it I that said I didn't know enough to be afraid? Or did I also say the bear didn't know enough to be afraid? Because that's what I answered right now. Yeah. Yeah. So there we were. It was wonderful. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for that again. So people are leaving and stretching their legs. So uh, we should do the, the chant. I think. Okay. Uh, may our intentions equally extend to every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's ways. Beings are numberless, I value them. Dharma gates are boundless, I bow. The Buddha's way is unsurpassable. Um, thank you again. I'd like to turn it over to Nico for any announcements of upcoming things at Jokoji. And so Nico, could I ask you to come on? Yes, hi, Hogan, thank you. And thank you, Paula, for being with us. Thank you. Um, What do we have here? We have coming up a um, Bringing Zen Home event, Domestic Buddhist Practice in Everyday Life. This is going to be led by Paula Arai and Beata Chapman. This is an online event only. Um, It starts Friday, 
July 16th, and it runs um, all day Saturday. And then Sunday, Beata and Paula are giving our Dharma talk. And we then have something we're very excited about. The Coben Memorial Sashin starts Thursday, July 22nd, and runs through that weekend. And um, more information about both of these events are on the website. So um, check that out if you're interested, and join us if you can. Thank you. Paula, are you willing to stay for a minute so I can ask you a question? Sure. I'm here. I almost I had my finger on the button. Uh, I really appreciate your talk. I um, particularly enjoyed hearing how you allowed both the trees to come to you and the bears to come to you. And I had a little bit of that experience sitting here this morning. I This is my new Zendo. I had to move out of my mom's cottage because, yay, my 92-year-old mother's coming here today from the East Coast. So I'm in my little office with Zendo, whatever. And yeah. I'm sitting for the first time, and there's a Japanese maple out there, and the shadow against the, the shades, it just felt like they were coming and enveloping me, and there was this little leaf lace. And I thought about how often I feel like something has to be done, like something's not right, and I have to make it better, and I have to try and heal things and cook things, <laughs> whatever it is, all the time. And in those moments, when the trees and the leaves and the bears come to us, there's nothing to be done. And yet, you go on and tell me that the Tenzo has to cook. And I really appreciate holding those together. It's very supportive. And so you may have felt like it was all over the place, but it was right here for me. So, <laughs> well, you can finish the rest on your own. I mean, I didn't get to the second Tenzo, <clears throat> but it, it's really good, too. It's a whole other one. Yeah. Thank you. You'll have time. I like your office. My office is also, this is, this is my dining room table, because I get more light on a light here and put my computer here. But my, my real office with my Zen books and my poetry books is, it's, it's like yours, you know, it has a screen and it's where I sit and where I <clears throat> right and everything else it's good to see you you too thank you so much yeah. i think you you guys can go unless you have a question i think they've formally adjourned right you don't have to stay for me i have i have a, I have a question paula and a talk um, yes uh, so yeah, first of all, I also I also want to echo what Paul, uh, what Pamela and before her, Randy said. It's uh, it's so lovely that you're so like ordinary at the same time a teacher and you don't put on any airs and it's just very refreshing and encouraging to everyone, at least to me, to, you know, ordinary Buddha, you know, yourself, you know. So that made me think like... Uh, 
Actually, when you're saying that, when you mentioned the example of this famous story of a Buddha appears above the stove or whatever, the Buddha was as a hallucination. I I felt like that could be like um, if you see the Buddha as other than yourself, oh, right, right. outside yourself. Yeah. That's the Buddha that you beat away, because that's the right. one yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Of um, course. Um, I mean, it takes courage to admit to yourself that you're you're Buddha, you know, because that can be perceived as arrogance and maybe arrogance, but that's the ultimate truth, right? That we each Buddhas. That's the Buddhas truth. It makes yeah. sense. That's the Dharma. That's the, that's the Dharma that they're teaching us. We just have to open ourselves to accept it. And then the other thing is I want to recall my old teacher, uh, Ed Brown, who's also a chef, uh, also a Kiroshi disciple. And what Ed would do was Tenzo at Tassahara, etc. What he would do in retreats is he would not throw away any ingredient because the fish would get filled with leftovers. And towards the end, he would mix delicious meals out of the discarded stuff. And I, I think he learned that from Suzuki Roshi in some sense, because Suzuki Roshi would go to markets, he would get whatever vegetables nobody else wanted, discarded. He would, he would ask to get the rotten vegetables. I'm not sure that was a good idea, but he would, he would do that. So no ingredient. And Ed would tell us like, you know, when you, uh, he was a bread baker, right? He's a bread baker. So um, he would say like, when you, when you make the bread and you taste the bread, you test the, taste the sun, the earth, everything in it. Like, I can't remember, he was very poetic about it. Sky, so like some kind of feeling of, Everything, everything makes yeah. you know. So it's kind of poetic, but anyway, thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, I like that. I I, I love that book. I, I have it. It's in pieces. I I just have to tape it together. I got it when it first came out, and really good recipes too. <laughs> Lots of sugar actually. Yeah, it's great. It's like Thich Nhat Han saying a lecture I went to, and it was a huge gymnasium, and I saw it was holding up this ear of corn and going through everything the process of that corn went through to come to us inside the earth. And, and some things that weren't so good, you know, are, are manufacturing themselves. Everything. So I'm coming here from the disorder. I've never seen this bad. <laughs> I hope you're you're in a good place, all of you. I feel in a great place being with all of you. Thanks, Paula. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.